in my family, I have become defined as, as the single childless person, and I'm fine with that. It's allowed us some freedom and some flexibility. She's been able to change careers. We've been able to move. Finally making that decision just felt like a huge relief. Life is really rich. I've achieved many of the goals I envisioned earlier on. I earned a PhD, I ran the Boston Marathon, and I'm leaving this message from my home in Germany, where I dreamed about living for a long time. I believe I would be a good mother. I just don't want to put somebody else's needs and wants in front of my own. Those who have consciously chosen not to have children are the minority of the childless. Often it's not a choice, such as those who are physically unable to have children. Many others, uh, like myself, just didn't find a suitable partner and didn't want to raise a child alone. I did get married. I do have stepchildren and step-grandchildren, which I really enjoy a lot. But I'm not responsible for them. I didn't raise them. So I feel like I really have the best of both worlds. I'm 30 years old, and I still don't know what I want to do. Sometimes I think, absolutely not. And sometimes I think, I could do that. I really didn't want to be a parent. Honestly, I didn't believe that I would be a good one. And after 30 years, I can say that I think I made the right choice. I would say that being months shy of our 40th wedding anniversary, hardly a week goes by that we are not grateful for our decision. I have no kids. I never wanted kids. I am blissfully happy without the responsibility. So Maria, does any of that sound familiar to you? It certainly does. <laughs> and why? Well, I mean, there are a whole load of different um, responses there from um, trying to make a decision at 30 um, and to being very happy later in life, knowing that you've made the right decision. So, you know, I think that's the spectrum for me, that I, I, I never really wanted children uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, but then I fell in love with a man who did want a child, so then we had to negotiate that. So, And then, you know, through my 40s, there were a lot of uh, different pressures on me mm-hmm. in different ways. Um, you know, as I was coming to the end of my child-bearing, child, um, possible child-bearing years. And, and now, of course, later in life, I'm looking back at that decision. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I could, I could definitely relate to <laughs> all of those. <laughs> Well, uh, for folks who don't already know, this is On Point, and I'm Magna Chakrabarty, and you're listening today to Maria Coffey. Um, she's a world traveler and adventurer and has just published a new book called Instead, Navigating the Adventures of a Child-Free Life. And uh, Maria, we those voices that we featured just a, a moment ago are but a drop in the ocean of responses from listeners that we got when we said that we were going to be talking to you and wanted to hear stories about their decisions not to have children, if that indeed was a decision they made. So uh, some of those listeners uh, 
included. I should just honor them by telling them us, telling us their names. They are Mary, Linda, Bessie, Stephen Campbell, Anna Porter, Colleen, Hannah, Ellen, Becky Sanchez, Catherine Kozak, Josh Loy, and Gavin Larson. They're from Oregon, Washington, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, New York, Germany, and Canada. And we will hear from many more people as the hour progresses. Um, but uh, before we get to your the decisions or the the instances in your life that led you to the road of not having children. Can you tell me, Maria, like what are one or two of the things that you have been able to do uh, in the you know decades and years uh, past that um, sort of you look back and say, yes, it was worth not having children because I got to do that instead. Well, I don't know how long you've got. (laughs) I've had a very full life. (laughs) So let's just say I always wanted a very adventurous life, an unconventional life. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted a life full of surprises. Um, And that's what I've done with my husband, Doug. We um, became a, a, um, a writer photographer team. We went on long expeditions on our own, uh, taking a, a, a double kayak with us, a folding double kayak. We explored wild parts of the world. We kayaked down the River Ganges. We spent months in the Solomon Islands in the South Pacific. We paddled the length of Lake Malawi. Um, when Vietnam opened up to tourism in the early in the mid nineties, we explored its whole coastline by local boats and on 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 old bikes that we bought there. Uh, we we founded um, a, an adventure travel company to feed our addiction to travel, I guess. Um, my husband's a veterinarian. We ended up doing a lot of work uh, on with elephants, on elephant welfare mm-hmm. and elephant conservation all over Asia and Africa. So yeah, we've done. So, we've been very free and light on our feet, and able to to move and and make decisions quickly and change direction when a, a new opportunity comes up. So, I think if we'd had children, that would have been we wouldn't have been able to do a fraction of those things. Mm, okay, so hold that thought, Maria, because I want to I want to come back to it and maybe. Um gently nudge you to tell me more to convince me that you couldn't have done those things. <laughs> okay, you, I can do that. If you had children. <laughs> but again, as I said, so many people called in because I think we, you know, um, it's not often heard in uh, American society, uh, let alone the media, about uh, the affirmative decision that people make when they um, choose not to have children. So the flood of people who wanted to talk about it was quite impressive. So here's here's mm. a few more. This is Linda Bessie uh, from Mead, Washington. And here's what she said. While dating, my husband and I discussed that neither of us were interested in having kids. We married in 1984. Um, our parents were okay with our decision. It was our peers that were more disapproving. And I would say that being months shy of our 40th wedding anniversary, hardly a week goes by that we are not grateful for our decision. We adore our nieces and nephews and enjoy traveling with them. But being childless has kept us able to travel, take more chances with work. And I've traveled to over 45 countries and was able to turn a very favorite hobby into a profession. So that's Linda Bessie. Very interesting to hear her say that not having children has allowed her to take more chances with work. Oh, I want to come back to that, too. Here's Allison Jones from Portland, Oregon. And she says she loves her life without children and just with her partner. Travel comes up so often, Maria, in these comments. Um, she also says she gets to eat out more. Um, 
buy nicer furniture. I can relate to that, Allison. I have I have two offsprings myself, and we're still uh, surviving with our IKEA sofa. <laughs> but Allison also said this. I guess the one downfall of it would be that a lot of folks my age, now that I'm in my 40s, have kids. So it does it does limit the friend pool a bit in terms of activities, like mutually shared activities. But I don't know if I would be happy going to play dates of small children. I guess it's it's one cost, you know, that I'm okay with is, you know, I don't know a few friends or extended network of friends to uh, have the life that I want to live. So, Maria, um, what comes up often is people saying, well, here's or they told us, here's the life that I've lived. And then I look at my my friends and I can see some of the positives of being a parent, but I see a lot of what they consider to be drawbacks. Did you have that same experience with your uh, circle of friends and acquaintances? Like, not so much, but I think, you know, we were traveling so much. We, you know, our pattern was that, you know, we, we have a base in Canada and we would be traveling the world on our expeditions or, or running trips once we had our travel company. And we would kind of parachute back in to our base and have great big parties and invite all our friends. They'd come over for several days and they'd bring their kids. The kids were small then. Um, and, you know, I think if, if so, you know, that, that kind of all just melded in. I think if we'd, I think if we'd had kind of a more settled life, like, you know, the listener said, and, um, it maybe would have felt a little bit more um, difficult to maintain friendships. Mm-hmm. But as it was, you know, we were just these people that kind of, as I said, parachuted in and had big parties and get-togethers. And um, but of course, I, you know, I, you know, I wasn't around for most of those kids growing up as well. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what I'd love to understand more deeply. Well, when we come to the next segment, we're going to hear your story about how you came to this decision. But, mm-hmm. but before we do that, you hinted that part of the reason why you um, wrote this book is because you wanted to look back and sort of uh, do sort of an honest assessment of the decisions that you'd made. What triggered you to want to look back in that way? I actually started to write a book about getting old, getting older. I'm 71 now, and I started writing this a few years ago when I was 68, I guess, and now 68, 69. And I was, I, I, you know, I'd, I think not having children allows you to forget, in my case, forget that you're getting older because you don't have children to mark the passage of time. And it sort of hit me really hard when I was about 66 that people were starting to see me as elderly. So mm. I, I decided to start writing about that and, and look back into my past to see if I could find lessons when I'd faced other difficult situations. You know, how would I got through those? How, how, how would I navigate? How would I navigate difficult terrain in the past? And how would I navigate this emotional terrain of heading into old age? And I found as I started writing that I was constantly writing about my decision to be child free. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the book became. Looking back, I, I've always written, I've always written to make sense of my life, I think, make sense of different parts of my life. And this was very interesting because I hadn't really thought about this so deeply about why I decided not to have children, how it impacted me, my relationship, um, my relationship, my relationship with my mother. You know, mm-hmm. I think that was that was really what caused me to 
to really delve deep into this subject. It's so interesting because from what I hear you saying, it sounds like even though you hadn't thought about it, there's something about that decision that um, since you kept coming back to it, you, you felt must have uh, defined you or continues to define you. So that, we're going to talk about that when we come back in just a moment. Maria Coffey is our guest today, and her new book is Instead, Navigating the Adventures of a Child-Free Life. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and Maria Coffey joins us today. She's a worldwide adventurer and author, and her latest book is Instead, Navigating the Adventures of a Child-Free Life. So, Maria, this is a, these are a couple of more listeners who wanted to share their stories about the same decisions they've made. Interesting, we heard from mostly women. Let me just put that out there. Um, and we can talk about why in a moment, but Gavin Larson from Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, sorry, no, not Gavin. Yes, Gavin Larson, though, sh- we're going to play two. Steven's the guy we'll hear from in a second. But Gavin Larson is in Asheville, North Carolina, and is 49. She's single and doesn't have any children. In my family, I have become defined as as the single childless person, and I'm fine with that. I can't say there haven't been times when I felt slightly embarrassed about it, but only momentarily and only because I, I realized then that it was other people making me feel that way. I wasn't embarrassed about myself. I was embarrassed for them. I was embarrassed for them to feel that something was amiss in seeing a woman independent and successful and happy without being a mother. And here's Stephen Campbell, and I apologize for confusing the names earlier. I got my pieces of paper mixed up. But Stephen Campbell lives in Somerville, South Carolina, and he said he never wanted to have children, and his wife was okay with that. She was an obstetrician, and she loved delivering babies. And we talked about it off and on over the years. And I continued to not want children, and she was okay with that choice. Now that she's gone... I do wonder if we had had children, if that would give me one more thing to remember her with. But I can say I'm, I'm happy with the choice that I made. I honestly do not believe that I would have been a good father. So, Maria, obviously people have shared with us many reasons, uh, medical, economic, just not wanting the responsibility mm-hmm. for their decisions not to have children. <clears throat> but yours are very specific to inv- uh, 
events that took place in your life mm-hmm. in your twenties. Can you can you share what those events are? There were two defining events in my twenties. Uh, the first was when I was twenty one, and I was caught in a rip current when, in Morocco <clears throat> when I was traveling there. I was taken out. I, I I wasn't a good swimmer at the time. I didn't know <clears throat> how to deal with the rip current, and I panicked and and almost drowned. I lost consciousness. I was dragged ashore by somebody, luckily, and resuscitated on the beach. And I woke up surprised because I had thought when I was out there in the waves that I was dying. So that that experience at a very young age gave me um, a real insight into the fragility of life, and it made me determined to follow my dreams. And then Nine years later, <clears throat> I lost the man that I loved. Uh, he was a, <clears throat> excuse me, he was a mountaineer, um, and he died on Everest. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, he died on Everest. Um, um, we'd been together for about uh, three years. I was very much in love with him, and uh, he was lost without trace. And that blew my life apart at mm-hmm. the age of thirty, and it gave me an intense um, fear of loss. I thought if it's so terrible to lose a partner, what would it be like to lose a child? Mm. And I think that really, that really for me was was the big one of the big reasons why I felt I just, as well as wanting to pursue my dreams <clears throat> and being determined to do that, I also felt that if I had a child, I would become very anxious, um, always worried about the child's safety. I'd become a very needy mother. And um, and also because I wanted to go traveling and do really adventurous things, and I'd met this man who shared my dreams. I felt, you know, I I just couldn't merge the two, uh-huh. even though my husband felt that we could. Right. Okay, so I want to ask you that about that just in a second. Mm-hmm. But you know, in listening to you, Maria, first of all, I again, I'm obviously coming to this conversation as uh, a parent, mm-hmm. but your your fear of. Uh, I can deeply relate to uh, the fear that you said about like what, how much would it blast apart my life mm-hmm. if if I lost a child? That's a very rational fear, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like when I when I even dare to to contemplate it, I simply cannot. My mind cannot move forward mm-hmm. from that moment, and that's just even mm-hmm. thinking about the possibility, let alone it happening. So I strongly relate to that, Maria. But what's fascinating to me is that. I hear, and I, and I read in your story, this really um, contradictory uh, undercurrent of self-doubt that you had, mm-hmm. right? Because you said you were worried about being an anxious mother. And yet, you're in, you are, you've proven by the, the, the life that you've lived in the decades since, that you're actually a very bold and brave person who welcomes uncertainty and even thrives in it. Did you mm-hmm. ever, did you ever wonder about why your self assessment about your ability to um, raise a child was so different than um, at least how I see how you've actually lived your life? Well, I think I think I also, and I guess here's the part people would say is selfish. I you know I wanted I didn't feel that I could do the things that I really wanted to do if I had a child. I felt. That if I became a mother, I'd have to have I'd have to have a much more settled, secure life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the time when you know my husband and I were starting to build our life together, we'd, we'd moved to a little island off the west coast of Canada. We'd built ourselves a little house. We commuted to the nearest town by kayak. I mean, even our day to day life was exciting and adventurous. 
And I was thinking, well, if we had a child, wouldn't we need to move to town, have a bigger house, uh, you know, get a, be near, settle somewhere near to a school? And I just, I just didn't want that path. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not how I wanted my life to pan out. And I, I didn't feel I, I knew that I wasn't the kind of woman that could sling a baby on her back and head into the wilds. I just knew that I I was that just flooded me with anxiety. Oh, and interesting. I, I, <laughs> because a lot of the places that you've you've traveled to, right, around the world, mm-hmm. that is exactly what we see, right? As, mm-hmm. you know, that because there are so many cultures that do to, you know, cultural norms and the fact of privation after mm-hmm. after women have babies, they do exactly that, right? They they sling yes. the child onto their, you know, back or or you know, carrier in the front and they go right back out to doing what they were doing before. I wonder how that, um, when you visited those places, like how, how did they both react to you and you reacted to them? Everywhere we went, so let's say, for example, <clears throat> in India, going down the River Ganges or Lake Malawi, in the Solomon Islands, the first question was always, where are your children? And um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a very truthful person. I just couldn't lie about it. I would say I don't have any children. And I would. it was always greeted with horror and pity. I mean, these were, these were societies where the, the child-free choice was and probably still is unfathomable. Mm-hmm. And so I, I could never bring myself to admit that I'd chosen not to have children. And um, people just felt very, very sorry for me. They presumed that I was barren. In the Solomon Islands, uh, they said, you know, why don't, your, why don't your relatives give you one of their children? Um, in India, I was always taken off to the temple and people did pujas, praying <clears throat> to various goddesses that, that I'd be given a child. Um, I think the hardest reaction for me to deal with was in Africa. We, we spent quite a long time kayaking the length of Lake Malawi, and it was in the early 90s. That, um, there was the be- beginning of a drought, AIDS was starting to hit, and malaria was rife. Every village we stopped at, uh, there, there were funerals, often for children who died of malaria. And I was invited one day by a woman um, to go to, the, to a house where a child had died the night before, and there was a, a, some mourning going on. And she invited me to come and, and join in with that. And um, we were sitting on the step of the house, little house, and inside was the mother who'd already lost two other children to malaria and this was her third and he was going to be buried that day under under a big baobab tree and I could hear her keening inside mm. and the woman sitting next to me um, I, I was sitting think, sitting there thinking how terrible these women can't stop having babies they can't stop their babies dying they're trapped by poverty and the woman who'd invited me leaned over to me and said how many children do you have and I said I don't have any and her face just clouded, and she said, "Oh, I'm so sorry for you." And it was a really, it was a really profound moment because, you know, you know, to be pitied like that, and and to, you know, and it made me really reflect a lot. Like, am I doing the right thing? Why am I going around the world in a double kayak? You know, should I be home, making my mother happy by having mm. children? You know, mm. so I did go. Th- that was the period I think of traveling through those other cultures where children are so important that I started to really reflect and wonder if I was making the right decision. Did that woman tell you why she looked upon you with pity? She didn't, but I knew it's because in cultures like that, children are an insurance. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, 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 they're everything. They're the most important thing in life. 
um, you know, their insurance for the future. Um, their, you know, people have so little, but they have their children and, and they put everything into their children. All they want to do is is give their children a good education, which, of course, my, my mother did with, you know, came from a very difficult background and <clears throat> she felt the same. But but I think it's it's in 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 such societies that the the concept of of not being able to have children is 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 terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, which of course is you know uh, as as these societies move forward, it must be very hard for women there now making the decision to be child free. Yeah, even even you know higher up in sort of economic levels. Yeah, you know I'm thinking you mentioned your mother, and I know you have a story to tell about her. But um, uh, I mean, you're also writing this book. As an adult child of a, of a parent, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that one thing that um, parents don't often talk about when we're having public, di- when there are public discussions about the decision, decisions whether or not to have children. And by the way, I should say in any way, shape or form, this doesn't have to mm-hmm. just be biological, right? Many people mm-hmm. yes. come into parenthood in different ways. But um, it's not often spoken about how, uh, and this is just my view, Maria, that after my children were born, I experienced and continue to experience a kind of love that I have never experienced before with any other human being. Um, It's complex love. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it totally defines me in terms of its complexity as, uh, you know, just as people who do not have children, that's a choice that that defines them. Um, Mm -hmm. And I say that judgment free because people have the right to live their individual lives. But this decision defines me. Um, I will always and forever be the parent of these children, even as they grow into um, fierce independence and don't want anything to do with me. And the reason why I point that out is because that... um, complex bond m- remained between you and your mother but it mm-hmm. kind of it, it, in the book you write about how it uh, emerged in a way that f- filled you with guilt which is really heartbreaking to hear can you tell me about that sorry you mean the guilt my guilt towards my mother for not having children yeah yeah, that, yeah that's one yeah. of the things and then i'd yeah. love to hear more about your relationship with her and more broadly right just yeah. just to circle back there I, I, there is i do say write this in the book that I knew when I made my decision not to have children that giving birth was probably one of the most profound experiences anyone could have. And I knew that, and I knew that I was choosing not to do that. And it was, you know, because I'm always, like you said, I'm a person who wants big experiences and challenging experiences. And I knew that I was passing on that to have other kinds of experiences. And also the the kind of love that parents describe for their children. I knew that I would never experience that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I very much acknowledge, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a, a child-free person that, you know, that, you know, there, there are things that you give up and things that you gain. But um, <clears throat> the question about my mother, um, um, my mother was um, Irish Catholic uh, who'd moved to uh, Britain before the Second World War and met my father, who was also Irish there. And um, they both come from very difficult backgrounds. And all they wanted for their children, especially after living through the war, was security, um, peace, and everything that they'd never had in their lives, you know, good education, good jobs. And I grew up with my mother telling me her dreams of me having a big white wedding, getting married, having a teaching career and settling down close to her so that my 
children could r- run in and out of her house and she could babysit them for me while I went to work. <laughs> so I could, so this was her dream. I was the third child and the only daughter and the long-for daughter. And she'd also said that from the moment I was born, she looked forward to the time when I would have a child. So I knew with my decision not to have children that I was breaking my mum's heart. Mm. Um, and it was again that, you know, and she was, she was a woman who, she was a real matriarch. She was a wonderful woman, very powerful, but she wielded guilt like a weapon. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And she made me feel very guilty about this at times. And, you know, I did, I, you know, I, I did all the things to hurt her, I guess. I didn't have children. I moved across the world, um, embarked on these, you know, very worrying adventures that worried her terribly. Um. And, but, you know, I think it was only when I was older, when she was dying, actually, and I was by that time in my 50s, that um, I really began to understand her. You know, we'd reached a place of peace and, and by then, you know, we'd, ha- we'd had kind of quite a fractious relationship. And then we'd, the older I got, you know, the, the more I came to understand her. And maybe that would have happened earlier if I'd had a child. But... Um, it was when she was dying that it occurred to me that the one thing that would have really made her happy was for me to have a child. I think that, you know, I realized that would have been the completion of a, a circle of life for her. And I never, she asked me just the week before she died if I'd ever regretted not having children. And of course, I said, no, no, I'm happy with my life. Mm-hmm. And she was really relieved. She said, I'm always worried about that. But what I didn't say to her, because it occurred to me right at that moment, that I did I did regret not being able to give her that completion that I know she would have, would have really loved to have had a grandchild. Mm-hmm. And so I don't regret it at all for myself, but I'm, you know, in the, I realize, oh, that's, it's really sad that I wasn't able to give her that. You know, oh, Maria, I... I so profoundly relate to your, you know, it's that like same childlike innocent desire, profound desire to, you know, please your parents, no no matter how old you Mm -hmm. are. We never Mm -hmm. outgrow that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Oh gosh, I'd like <laughs> so many stories of my own about that that actual parent-child relationship. I will save you and listeners from that. But of course, on the okay. you know, on the other on, on the flip side, having a child in order to satisfy someone mm. else's wishes is the worst reason, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> to to have a child. But uh, it sounds like that conversation though between you and her in her final days meant a lot to you. It did. It did, and to her as well. Mm-hmm. I think. Because she said, I'd always worried about that. And she closed her eyes and, and went to sleep. Wow. And, you know, very so. Well, at least she went to sleep worry-free, which is... Yes. <laughs> it's a great gift that you gave her in that moment. So we'll have a lot more uh, to talk about, and we'll hear the input from more listeners who, uh, who shared your decision, Maria. And we'll do that when we come back. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair. 
a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and we will return momentarily to our conversation with Maria Coffey. But I wanted to first take a minute to let you all know that later this week and next, we will be continuing our coverage of the Israel-Hamas conflict. And we'll be doing many shows, including one about the regional implications uh, of war um, and the potential spreading or spillover of war. And we will be listening to two roundtables of Americans, Jewish Americans this week and Palestinian Americans early next week. And we would truly love your help in crafting these discussions. So if you're a Jewish or Palestinian American, contact us and let us know what the past two weeks have been like for you. We want to hear your stories, how you're thinking through what might happen next, what you want your fellow Americans to know. So you can share your story by recording a message in the On Point Vox Pop app. If you don't already have it, just go to wherever you get your apps and look for On Point Vox Pop. Alternatively, you can leave us a voicemail at 617-353-0688. Three. And we're looking again for Jewish and Palestinian Americans to share your views, whatever they are, uh, about this moment in your personal history and in world history. Well, as I mentioned, our guest today is Maria Coffey, and uh, she's a worldwide adventurer and author, and her latest book is Instead, Navigating the Adventures of a Child-Free Life. Uh, and Maria, there's lots more listeners for us to get to, so let's uh, first start with Ellen, who says that Many people may choose not to have children um, for reasons of uh, the kind of life they want to live. But for her, that was not the case. Often it's not a choice, such as those who are physically unable to have children and don't choose to engage in the complicated and expensive process of adopting. Or when your choices are limited, such as when finances or housing are unstable, or you have ongoing mental or physical health issues. Many others, uh, like myself, just didn't find a suitable partner and didn't want to raise a child alone. Also, like myself, there's those of us who grew up with poor parenting and have had to spend a lot of our lives learning to parent ourselves. Very important point, Ellen. Thank you for making that. This is Karen Einstein from Lexington, Massachusetts, and she's one of the several people who called in to tell us how children can come into your life in different ways. Karen was a high school English teacher for decades. I never had to deal with what parents have to deal with. I never had to deal with kids coming home drunk, or I never had to deal with finding a vape in my kid's bedroom. I never had to deal with worrying about 
knowing who my child really was and watching them get sucked into destructive relationships. So I think being a teacher is a lot easier. Karen, I would say I think teaching, being a a parent can be sometimes a lot easier because uh, we don't have to deal with 15, 20, 25, or 30 kids at one time. So my hat's off to you as a teacher. Here's another one. This is another teacher, Bruce Ratcliffe. He's been a high school teacher for 48 years in Fresno, California. After having taught this long, I think I've gained some skills at uh, helping kids grow and, you know, build a life worth living. But it's uh, tremendously satisfying. And if I had kids or other commitments like a wife, then I would not be able to give myself 100%, which means seven days a week working in my classroom, which turns out to be uh, as satisfying as I can imagine any life would be. Maria, you write in the book that um, children did come into your life uh, in different ways, and including one um, one child who uh, calls you mom. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's Agnes, who is um, a Samburu woman. Uh, we met her, we were doing work in Kenya. Uh, we, we were doing work with uh, elephant conservation, and we were leading... Um, Treks, fundraising treks, raising funds for um, for, um, work against elephant poaching. And um, this trek led us into a village. We'd already been doing some work with the women in the village there to help them set up um, a a little community. community. They were actually um, making elephant paper from elephant dung and and beading it. And so we raised some funds to build a a house for them to, to work in. So we'd taken a group into this village uh, on one of our treks, and the school teacher who we knew there took us to one side and said that his star pupil um, had now left school and should be on her way to university, but uh, her father and the elders of the village had refused to give her the support she needed because she had taken a stance against undergoing female genital mutilation, female mm-hmm. circumcision, since the time that she was 12 and she was now 19. And he said, is there any way that you could help her? So we agreed to meet her. We didn't tell her why, but we asked her to, to share her story. <clears throat> and um, she was a very impressive young woman. And along with our, our, our group, it was a group of, of 10 people and us, we pledged that we would um, raise the funds between us to send her to university, uh, which is what we did. This is with the support of her mother. And so Agnes, months later, started at Nairobi University and scroll on some years. She's now a barrister. Wow. Um, she has two children of her own. And um, Doug and I took over her her support at one point. And so I'd visited, you know, I'd visited her whenever I was in Kenya, and we were in contact a lot, uh, usually by WhatsApp. And I was supposed to go to to Kenya and do one of the treks with her, and it was going to be a very special trek. It was going to be her and her first child, who was then seven years old, and we were going to be walking into her village together and celebrating with her mother and and the women of the village and and her father actually, who she's who's who um, they're now reconciled. Um, but of course, COVID got in the way, so and we weren't able to go. And she, Christmas Day, two thousand and twenty, um, she contacted me by WhatsApp. We were having a long WhatsApp conversation, and she said there was something that she had hoped to 
to say to me or ask me when we were on our trek. And she wanted to ask me now. And I, I said, what's that? And she said, I want, I want permi your permission to call you mother, mm -hmm. um, which is you know, a huge honor in Samburu society. And, um, and of course, I said, yes. So now I get texts every other day from, from Agnes calling me mama. And I mean, I know, I know her real mother. You know, I know her biological mother. But it, it's, it's lovely to have her in my life. And I've really, you know, enjoyed following, you know, a, a, you know her, her her progress as she's become a lawyer and then a barrister and then had children. And she's not obviously she's not close to close to me physically, but it's lovely to have somebody in my life like that who 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 thinks of me all the time, you know, mm -hmm. and thinks of me as as a another mother in her life. Mm. So this is an example in the uh, in the way that you know these decisions. Mm. And the implications of them are never static, right? Mm -hmm. As as we grow uh, into young, from young adulthood into middle adulthood, and then um, elder status, uh, life changes. Decisions can change, or at least their uh, their impacts can. Mm -hmm. Take me back. Uh, you had mentioned earlier that um, uh, in the beginning of. Uh, your relationship with uh, Doug, right? That it, mm -hmm. was there a difference in the desires between the two of you regarding whether or not to have children? Oh, there's a huge difference. He's five years younger than me, and mm -hmm. we met when um, I guess he was 29 when we met, and I was 34. <clears throat> and he told he wanted an adventurous life as well, but he said his plan had always been to have a lot of adventures, and then to have a big family starting when he was 40. <laughs> And maybe have five kids. So, of course, the math didn't work out. <laughs> I was 34 at the time. But it was right in the early days of our relationship. But as it developed and as we fell in love and decided to marry and build this life together, he still expressed the idea that maybe we should have a child. But his feeling was that we could involve this child in our adventures. Um, and, you know, we were... I, we were planning some pretty radical things. And I, as I said before, I just had, I was flooded with anxiety at the idea of taking a child into the wilds. And um, we had one actually epic argument. We'd been kayaking in, in, um, in uh, the Sea of Cortez, Baja California, and we'd been pinned down by winds for days on end. We mm. were running out of food and water. Uh, we were stuck on this tiny islet. We were blasted by a sandstorm. Uh, we were about to miss our flight if we didn't get over to, to the mainland. And we eventually made a break for it. And we're kayaking, you know, across this, this across the, the, um, the Sea of Cortez, fighting, getting there as fast as we could before the wind came up again. And from behind me, you know, waves sloshing over our decks. And behind me, Doug suddenly said, you know, I've been thinking, we could definitely have a kid along on a trip like this. <laughs> and we... We actually had a big argument about it during the, that hour or so of really battling against the wind because at that point he really felt that was possible. And um, in my mind, it was completely impossible. I could not imagine having a child in those circumstances or bringing a child along in those circumstances. So it took it, 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 he did eventually come around to my way of thinking. We went off for a year, traveling the world with a folding kayak in some very wild places. And I think during that year, he he started to realize that it would be it would be very difficult to to melt to 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 join these two pathways together of a child yeah. and, and and big adventures. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm, I'm only um, grinning here because I I frequently drag my 
offsprings into the woods. But it's never a situation in which, oh, let's take a child on this trip where it's entirely possible that we might die, right? Right. Like right. it's just a different story there. Yeah. I, I, I completely hear you. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think what also made a difference for him is when that he met up with friends of ours who had shared his idea that you could, that children wouldn't change your life in any way and that you could have big adventures even with children. And these were friends that then went on to have children and all their plans evaporated. Mm-hmm. You know, they were no longer going to um, spend months hiking across the Himalayas with their children. You know, yeah. that was out of the window until they were older. Okay. So there's something about the rigidity with which everybody thinks the impact of having or not having a child will be. And I'm going to mm-hmm. circle back around to that. But in terms of continuing this exploration of how one's view might change, uh, we've got two more listeners here who shared some really um, notable thoughts. This is Catherine Kozak. She's lived what she says is a very live, rich life without children. She just turned 37, but says something has changed. A few months ago, my younger sister shared that she's pregnant. It's the first baby in my family, and the news absolutely overjoyed me. It also stirred up a longing for motherhood that I can only describe as primal. Whereas before my inklings toward having a child were more intellectual, I now experience it in my body. Catherine also said, though, that she still feels secure about her decision not to have children, but is thinking about one day welcoming them into her life in another way, perhaps through uh, becoming foster parents. Now, this is Laurie LaMontagne of Denmark, Maine, and she doesn't have any children along with her husband. My 92-year-old mother, I'm her only daughter. I do a lot of her care, and she will say to me often, what would I do without my daughter? And um, I have to say, I don't always know how to respond to her. Maria, given that you um, began writing this book in your late 60s and now you're um, uh, into your early 70s, does that mm-hmm. thought ever cross your mind? Oh, yes, it it does. Uh, it's something I think about more and more. Um, and you know, I don't have an answer. I mean, I know th- the thing is, I have friends, obviously, who um, have children and grandchildren, and they're close to them. And I think, well, that's lovely, you know, the comfort that might give might give them. But I also have friends with children, and the children are, are on the other side of the world, or they've died sadly, or they've become very ill. I mean, I don't think there's any guarantee. You know, having a child doesn't guarantee that that child will be there with you at the end of your life. Um, so. You know, sometimes I feel, you know, I do have, I don't talk about regret, but I talk about curiosity. Sometimes mm-hmm. I think, I wonder what it would be like if I had had a child. Would I feel more secure and comfortable now heading into this territory of old age? And I don't know. But what I do know is that I've had a really fabulous life mm-hmm. and I'm still having a fabulous life. And I look back and I think, wow, it, it's amazing what we've done. And, and it's been made possible by not having children. So... Even if I'm, even if I hit some hard times ahead, uh, it'll have been worth it. Yeah, you know how I felt co- uh, coming away from reading your book is twofold. One is that uh, it was quite inspiring to read your your um, 
bravely honest <laughs> look back on your life and that you come through it, you know, being truthful about the difficult times vis-a-vis -vis your mother uh, mm -hmm. that came from the decision not to have children, but also all the wonder, wonderful times. And I don't think we have enough of that sort of in the public discourse. Um, but I also felt a little bit of sorrow, not for you, but for the circumstances as a society that we've set up for people and particularly uh, for women, that either there's this judgment of, okay, well, I don't want to have children because um, doing so would make me give up everything that I value in my life. That's, mm -hmm. that's kind mm -hmm. of an absolutist <clears throat> point of view, which we heard a lot from listeners. But then the flip side to that is, well, why aren't you having children? Because children give you innumerable joys uh, and, and enrichment and um, the kind of uh, love and life that you couldn't even have imagined before they were around. But that, too, is equally rigid and harsh. And mm -hmm. it seems very unfair to, to all of us to not be able to be more fluid in how we mm -hmm. see the decisions that people make. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and yeah. I, yeah, and I just wonder if mm -hmm. part of your reason to write this was to maybe encourage more of that fluidity. Well, I just wanted to give an example of how, you know, obviously I don't think everybody should go off and do the madcap adventures that we've done, you know, because they haven't got children. I think it's perfectly okay to decide not to have children and have, you know, a much simpler life. It's, it's, it's your decision. It's your path. And and you'll know if it's the right one. Hmm. Well, Maria Coffey is uh, a world adventurer and traveler, author of many books. And her latest, which we've been discussing today, is Instead, Navigating the Adventures of a Child-Free Life. And we have an excerpt of it at our website, onpointradio.org. Maria, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, you've inspired me to see if I could paddle down the Ganges someday. So okay, thank I you know. so much. Well, talk to me first before you do that. <laughs> I'll do thank so. You. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of your listeners for such insightful comments. I really appreciate those. And I, I hope they read my book. I'm sure they will. This is On Point. <laughs>